0: Uh, for those of you who are maybe just returning from your winter down in, in Arizona and I'm meeting you couples here week by week, uh, what we've, we've been doing the last number of months is going through a series I've called You Asked For It where we've been giving you opportunity to uh, submit whatever question, burning question you might have about the Christian life, about the Bible and uh, we've been taking a few weeks to uh, address some of those questions and so we're going to bring the, uh, this sermon series to a close with one final question we're going to address here. This morning, uh, here's a number, 129,864,880. According to Google, this is the number of books that have been written throughout human history. I pity the person who had to count them all, but roughly, and I'm sure there's a few more nowadays, but about 130 million books at least have been written by men and women over the course of history and yet every week I stand up here and I have a book in my hand, I have one book in my hand and it happens to be the exact same book every week and I take this book and I open it up and we read from it and I speak to you as if you should believe it and as if you should obey it Uh, why? 130 million books why? Uh, well we believe, or many of us have become convinced, I certainly have, that what's contained in this book, do you know what this book is, by the way? Anybody know? This is the Bible. Okay, good. You're tracking with me. Just to make sure. Um, many of us have become convinced that this book, the Bible, contains the very word of God to us, to the world. We have um, expressed this as a church in our statement of faith The very first statement in our statement of faith is titled the word of God and it says this. We believe that the Bible is the word of God fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. All that to say we believe that these words, though they maybe were put on paper or parchment or whatever, by human hand were given, were inspired by God himself, every word. Um, and they have become then for us our standard, our supreme authority for all, all, of, all of faith and practice. Now we have come to, uh, to believe that because partly because of what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, when he says to Timothy, Paul's writing to this young pastor pastoring the church in Ephesus, and he says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed. There's where we get that that, uh, idea, that statement. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so Paul says a few important things there. He says we believe that scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. And of course there he's referring to the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. He said that these scriptures make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and equip you for every good work. In other words, he's saying that God in this book, through these words, has given us here today and, and uh, in all places of all times, has given to us everything that we need to rightly know who God is. He's revealed Himself, who He is. In these words, He has revealed how we can be right with Him. His plan for us to have life with Him. And He has revealed to us in these words how we can live righteously, how we are equipped for every, every good work the scriptures. This makes this book unique amongst the other 130 million. And it's why it's the only one I bring up here week by week. It's God's text message to the world, I guess you could say. Uh, Which kind of leads to the question we want to look at this morning. And it's a question I imagine that many of you have asked, or maybe you're asking in one form or another. Here's the question That that was submitted by somebody in this church. How do we know all that's written in the Bible is God's word? The Bible was written by so many people and interpreted so many different times and ways. I've encountered people who seem to be pathological liars. It seems they just make stuff up for acknowledgement of, oh, I know something you don't. So how can I know all that is written in the Bible is in fact God's wishes and desires and not embellished or altered? It's a good question. In other words, okay, I mean, if I'm gonna stake my life on this, how can I really trust? How can I know that this is God's word? In fact, that's a really important question. That's a really important question. And I think it's a question that maybe not too many Christians have wrestled through. and, and, and maybe some who have didn't find good reasons or weren't given good reasons, and maybe you know some of these people that walked away from the faith. Maybe they went to university and they encountered some other ideas or a challenge to that claim and, and um, came to the conclusion maybe that there really isn't reason to trust in this as the word of God. I mean, I've become convinced, as Timothy was, that there is, and we'll take a few minutes to discuss that, but many of us grew up uh, in a church learning, if you, if you grew up in Sunday school, the most famous Christian song of all, which is what? Jesus Loves Me. You know what? How does it go? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so I think a lot of us grew up in a the Bible tells me so sort of faith. Well, well, if the, or, or you know, maybe your parents said, well, if the Bible says it, that settles it. And the Bible became the reason that we believed, because the Bible says so. And especially as kids, we, we are raised um, with that sort of mentality. Uh, but that, you know what, that, that, that's not good enough. I know it's good enough for my kids right now. They're still in that age where they just believe what their daddy says because it comes from his, their daddy, right? Right? Don't you parents wish your kids just never left that age? Just stayed there forever, right? I know that's not gonna last, but my kids, it's good enough. They just, God, it, it, because it's in the Bible, it's true. But we know that's just not good enough because we grow up, we develop critical thinking skills, and, and like um, uh, a guy I, I met uh, in um, a previous community I lived, growing up in the Sunday school, a pretty bright guy, intelligent went off to university, encountered some other ideas, and, and um, just kind of gave up the whole Christian faith thing, which really grieved his mom and dad, who are very committed Christians. And in speaking with his parents, I asked, like, so, so what was it? I mean, he grew up in this. Like, what, what led him to conclude that it maybe isn't true? Um... And, and uh, the mom told me, well, he, he was reading the Bible. Well, that's good. And he got to that part where it talks about the talking snake, and he said, "I can't believe in a talking snake," and he gave up. I mean, which is unfortunate because that's chapter three. That's like in the second page of the Bible. But you know, that's how so many people approach the Bible. They get to that point and they go, "Oh well, well that's kind of hard to believe," and and. Um, maybe they got to that part you know Abraham and hundred years old this miraculous child or or, or or God with Moses leading the people out of exile across the Red Sea and all these miraculous events leading them into the promised land and all these things that are accounted these stories and people read them and and I, I can understand why would you believe in that if somebody plopped that book in front of you and, and said do you believe You like, that's hogwash uh, there's lots of stories out there, there's lots of stories, lots of myth, there's lots of legend. We don't believe it all. So why do we trust that the Bible is God's word if we do? I've had to wrestle through that um, for myself, for myself, and, and, and I've become convinced that there are good reasons uh, to, to trust that the Bible is God's word, and I want to look at some of those reasons here uh, because it's not good enough just to say that I believe because of the, because the Bible, Sometimes we need to step back and we need to ask ourselves, what are the reasons we believe the Bible? What are the reasons we believe the Bible? Um, And so I'm just going to share a few reasons with you. Now, these are are mine, okay? These are how I've become convinced and some of them are going to make sense to you. Some of them might be powerful for you. Some of them, maybe not so much, but what I've done is I've just kind of taken all of these things, and I've and to me, they've built a strong foundation for how I can trust that this is of God, and I can build my life on this, and so hopefully um, it serves that purpose for you here this morning. Uh, each one of these points, I could probably take a whole sermon on, um, but uh, I won't, so we're going to run through it fairly quick, so if, if you want to jot notes, that's great, too. Uh, A few reasons we can believe that we can trust that the Bible is God's word. The first one, maybe one of the most powerful ones for me is is that Jesus believed that the scriptures were of God, were from God. That doesn't sound very exciting, I get that. Um, uh, But but, you know, I don't believe, I've come to that point where I don't believe the scriptures are from God just because they say so. Um, I believe that the, the Bible is God's word because Jesus believed that the Bible was God's word. Uh, And and he said so, and he taught so. And I have become convinced that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead. As I've thought this through, as have many others, um, have come to the conclusion that there is no other explanation for what has happened other than that there was a man named Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Some of you maybe have even seen the movie I think it's currently in the theaters, A Case for Christ, which recounts the true story of a. Um, he was a, a, an avowed atheist, investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, who wanted to disprove the Christian faith. And so as he dug into it and researched it, he became a really committed Christian. Because he said the only logical explanation for all of this is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. I mean, all of these followers of his, these normal Galilean fishermen, after he died on the cross, they were were terrified, and something happened that gave them such courage that propelled them to all the corners of the earth to proclaim this message of salvation through this risen Lord. Something happened. 3,000 people, Jesus had only been uh, raised from the dead, For a few days when we're told in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people uh, confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior and were baptized on that day. All they had to do to, anybody had to do to disprove it, to say, you guys are crazy, is to go to the tomb to point it out. There he is. He's not alive. He's dead. And yet everybody, all the eyewitnesses, all the people that were there in that time believed were convinced that Jesus rose from the dead and that made all the difference for them and gave them this great boldness. So as I've considered this, it's the only conclusion that I come to that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. It's the only explanation for the birth of the church. And, and I guess I just, if, if a guy predicted his own death and resurrection, he walks in water, I just go with that guy. Do you? I, I'm just like, if, if, if this, what this man says, what this man says, what he teaches, what he claims, if he dies and he rises from the dead, that's good enough for me, I'm gonna go with that guy. And Jesus affirmed the divine origin of the scriptures uh, you know, at various ways, at various different points in the gospels. But in Matthew chapter 19, uh, he's debating the Pharisees. They question him and the topic this, at this time is marriage and divorce. And, and they put a question to Jesus and Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse four, He says, haven't you read, now he's talking about the scriptures, right? Haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? So that's a quote from Genesis 2. And said, for this reason, and he quotes Genesis 2 verse 24. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That seems kind of unremarkable, but do you see what Jesus just said? He said, this is what the creator said. Now, if you go back to Genesis 2, it wasn't God that says this. It's whoever wrote Genesis, Moses, whoever it was, it wasn't the words of God. It was the words of the author of the book. But Jesus comes and says, God said. Didn't you read it in Genesis 2? God said. And this is how Jesus reads the scripture. That all of it is are are, are the words of God, is inspired by God, and, and Jesus claims or says at various points that He has come not to abolish the Law and the Prophets, which was their term for the Old Testament. They called, it, they called their Bible the Law and the Prophets. It said, I've not come to abolish the Law and the Prophets, but to fulfill them. Okay? So one of the reasons to trust, one, for me one of the most powerful reasons to trust the Scriptures is God's Word is that Jesus did. Is that Jesus did. So, so the, for me the first question isn't, is the Bible true? For me the first question, the most important question is did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus rise from the dead? So Jesus' testimony is is for me a powerful reason to trust in the Scriptures as the Word of God. A second reason here is um, the unity of the whole, the unity of the whole. Some of you are kind of aware of how the Bible came to be and it's kind of messy. Maybe you've, you've, you've read some or watched some movies. What's the guy's name? Dan Brown? You know, some of those angels, demons. What was his Da Vinci Code? All these claims about the authenticity of the Bible. And it's, it's all kind of hogwash. Um, but it, it, it was a, it, it was, the making of the Bible isn't quite as straightforward as, as lots of other holy books which I actually think, and I'll show you, serves to affirm the credibility, the trustworthiness of the Bible, but uh, let's just take the Quran, okay? Now the Quran supposedly was was given by God through the angel Gabriel, uh, Muhammad was in a cave angel Gabriel comes and apparently in heaven there's a book there's a Quran and there's an actual book and the angel Gabriel verbally gives the words of this book to Muhammad and Muhammad records them and this happens um, over the course of 23 years and so these words come to this one man and then this one man proclaims them okay kind of the same with the Book of Mormon some of you know that story apparently in 1827 the angel Moroni comes to this guy named Joseph Smith and says, hey, come to this place, I'm going to show you, and he, and he digs up some gold tablets with, with ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics on it, which the angel Moroni helps Joseph Smith translate, which becomes the Book of Mormon. And so then Joseph Smith comes and he says, look, the word of the Lord, and it all came from one man through one man, okay? But the Bible is very different. It doesn't come through the hand or the mouth of one man. It, 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 it's given over 1,500 years. That's a long time. Through at least 40 different human authors who lived in different centuries, who didn't know one another, uh, over this long span of time, you would expect that if that were the case, you would expect the story to be kind of disjointed and pieced together. But that's not what you find when you read the Bible. It has this amazing, coherent, consistent storyline of God's plan of salvation from beginning to end. In fact, in in Genesis chapter 2, you see God communing with man. It's depicted as a garden of Eden, the language of a garden. And at the end of the Bible, the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, you see God dwelling with man in the imagery of the garden there again. And you see, you, you see this connection from first chapter to the end, how everything coheres and is so unified in its message in an incredible way, an incredible way. Um, you see this even between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the very final words of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter uh, 5, The final words, sorry, Malachi 4. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Okay, there it is. The final words of of God that we have in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And then there were 400 years of silence. The Jewish people called it the period of silence where God didn't speak through prophets. For 400 years, He was silent. And God breaks his silence after 400 years after saying that and what are the very first words that God speaks after 400 years of silence we find them in Luke chapter 1 verse 17 now the angel of the Lord has come to the priest Zechariah who's serving in the temple and he's gonna tell him that his wife is miraculously gonna have this baby John the Baptist who will become John the Baptist and, 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 the, and the first words that, that come to Zechariah, the first words of God after 400 years of silence are, uh, you're going to have this baby and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient uh, to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's just like one just after 400 years, he didn't miss a beat. One just leads to the next. And, it, it, and you see this as you read the Bible, this incredible, coherent, unified message which has convinced many people the truthfulness of this book uh, as the word of God. Ah, so that's just another reason that is powerful for many. Um, and related to that, a third reason is the fulfillment of script, uh, of, sorry, of prophecy, the fulfillment of prophecy. You know, Jesus says um, a number of times that all the scripture, all the law and the prophets must be fulfilled in him. And, and you think, well, maybe he was trying to fulfill all these. You know, he, he, knew, he knew what was prophesied about the Messiah, so he was trying to fulfill all the prophecies so that he would look like the Messiah. But how can you fulfill the prophecy of where you're gonna be born? But do you know how to do that? Micah 5, the one who will bring peace, the peace bringer, will rise up out of the little town of Bethlehem. Uh, Someone has kind of made a record of of all of those uh, prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in in Jesus, very direct prophecies, very specific prophecies, and has come up with a list of over 300 of them someone did the math and they said the chance of, of, of one person fulfilling just 8 of those 300 is this number which is a big number, I don't know, I actually don't know how to say that number, it's 1 times 10 to the power of 17 so I don't know if that's gazillion, quadrillion, I have no idea but it's a big number for, for, for one person to fulfill 8 of the 300 and, and going further in the math someone said that uh, to, for someone to fulfill all 300 of those prophecies would be like Now this staggered my mind. Anybody ever been to Texas? Nobody's been to Texas. A few people have been to Texas. Yeah, you're a little dozy. Okay. Um, Texas is big apparently, it's big. Okay. If you were to cover the whole state of Texas two feet high with silver dollars, that's a lot of silver dollars. And blindfold a man and have one one, you know, specific silver dollar somewhere in there and, and, and you told them to pick up one silver dollar, the odds of that person blindfolded picking up that one silver dollar are the same as one person fulfilling all three of these direct prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Like it's staggering. It's staggering. And you know, we could elaborate that on, on that, but the fulfillment, the, the, the incredible fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus Christ, I think, speaks to, to the divine nature of the Scriptures as coming from God. Um, fourthly, and I don't really know what word to use for this, but I'll use the word inconceivability. I'm not even sure if that's a word, to be honest. Inconceivability. But this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 to 9. Let me just read it here. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 to 9. He says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen what no eye has seen what no ear has heard what no human mind has conceived these are the things that the god has prepared for those who love him what no mind has conceived and i think what paul is saying is nobody essentially nobody can make this stuff up nobody would write no human being would write this storyline all other attempts man-made attempts to reach god to understand god uh, all other religion are, are really one version of the exact same conception. There's a God and we want to be in his favor, so what do we need to do to be in, be in his favor and, and different groups have written different lists of rules or regulations to abide by to be in God's favor. Different lists, but all kind of the same idea. That's religion, but Paul says nobody, nobody could have con- con- conceived of this as God's plan of redemption for the world let alone good Jewish boys. I mean, Paul. Paul. You know, Hebrew of Hebrews, devout, according to the law, blameless, a Pharisee. Someone who was so opposed to Jesus, if he saw Jesus face to face, he would have have struck him with a stone because Jesus claimed to be one with the Father. Jesus claimed to be God himself. No Jew would ever conceive of that. And that led him to ride to Damascus to kill Christians for believing something so ridiculous. And something turned him around and changed his life. And he became an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? Because what in, in the gospel was revealed to him the truth that no human mind, let alone Jewish mind, could ever conceive. Um, God says in Isaiah 55, "My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways." So, just another reason. Another reason. This one for me is is uh, has been powerful and important. Uh, one of the reasons I can trust in this book as the Word of God is that all of it has God's glory at its goal. That doesn't sound exciting, but let me explain. Jesus says in John chapter seven, okay, all of Scripture has God's glory at its goal. John chapter 7, verses 16, Jesus says this My teaching is not my own. In other words, this doesn't come from me. It comes from the one who sent me. So he's talking about he's talking about his father, right? God the Father. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. In other words, he says, if you really want to know God, if you're seeking after God, if you have a heart after God, when you hear what I'm going to say, the truthfulness of it will resonate with you if you seek after God. Why? Why? Verse 18, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who s- seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. What Jesus is saying is, listen, if, a God, if, 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 if you're gonna invent some words from God, if the message you, you share doesn't come from God, it's not going to be motivated by the glory of God, it's going to be motivated by your own personal glory. It's going to be motivated by personal gain. It's going it's to bring you personal gain. And, and you see, I, I don't want to pick on other, you know, books or religions, but, um, but I will a little bit. Because there's a reason I'm a Christian and not a Muslim or not something else, okay? Um, Coming back, we, we, we talked about the Quran, we talked about the Book of Mormon, those two supposed prophets, Joseph Smith and, and, and Muhammad. Isn't it interesting that they're the only ones that got the word? right? I mean, the Bible, 40 different people over all these years, they're the only ones that got the word. And what did the message bring them? Muhammad. God says, uh, you're supposed to give me your beautiful daughters. Isn't this, same with Joseph Smith, God says, I can have more than one wife. Why, it's about, why is it always about women? But, you know, David Koresh, you, you see this thread through man-made religion, okay? Is, wh- wh- what does it bring the prophet? Women, right? Unless, but, I, I don't know, if, if there was ever a prophet who was a woman, would she want men, more men? not Mormon, more men, I don't know. (laughs) The Lord says, I'm supposed to have more husbands. Said no woman ever. (laughs) No one in human history. (laughs) Ever. One's enough, maybe more than enough for most people. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But what is the prophecy to that one person who heard the word from God? What does it always seem to bring them? It seems to bring them women. It seems to bring them wealth and it seems to bring them power. And you see that thread again and again. What does the message bring them? It brings them personal gain. It brings them personal glory. And this is what Jesus is saying. You can't really believe someone if they're motivated by personal gain. But if the message brings Glory to God as its motive and to the one who speaks it, who proclaims it, it brings nothing but hardship and persecution and suffering. He says, maybe that person speaks truth. And so it is with all the prophets in the Old Testament and Jesus himself and all the apostles, they proclaim the word of God, even though it brings them what? It brings them hardship even though they lose their homes, even though they lose their families, even though they lose their lives, they proclaim it because they're not motivated by their own glory. They're motivated by the glory of God and their whole life, written all over, their whole life is, may God get glory from all of this. And Jesus says, if that's the glory a person seeks, then that that man is a man of truth when God's glory is the goal you know the Apostles the prophets of God in the scriptures they're so convinced of the truthfulness of their message they're willing to lose everything for it and they do lose everything for it and to me I read that and I go the only the only explanation of that is it's it's true lastly these other reasons have kind of been evidential reasons using logic this last one's a bit more personal experiential and 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 it's just my own personal testimony now this is just my testimony I'm just talking about myself here I don't know about you but my own personal testimony that it works that it works you know what when I when I look at the world that I see and I experience and then I hold up the Bible beside it and I compare the two you know what I see well, this is just me. See a fit. See a fit. I see a fit. I see how it makes sense of the world that I see and I experience. It makes sense of the fact that we exist and we have consciousness and that we as human beings even though we're kind of like creatures like the animals we're really not because we have this God consciousness we're able to seek after and relate to God in a way that the animals can't and we have this appreciation of beauty and wonder that the other creatures don't and the only explanation is as the Bible says that we are made in the image of God we are made to know God. And I turn on the news and I see all these evil wicked terrible things happening around the world and, and the evilness of, of the human heart, and I go, yeah, it fits. And I experience the rage when I see injustice done, and I feel the, the, the inherent worth of, 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 of human life. Where does that come from? And, and then I hold up the Bible and go, yeah, it fits. It fits the world I see and I experience. And I've seen these words transform profoundly People's lives when they've been believed and obeyed. I mean, that—that's just. Those are just. That's anecdotal. That's personal experience. But that's my experience, and that's the experience of others. That, that when believed and 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 uh, obeyed, that it has profound power to transform lives. And I've experienced that in my own life, in in at at, at particular times in my life where there's a great need, and the Lord, oh spoke in profound ways through his word into my life. Because as as the author of Hebrews says in in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, separating between spirit and soul. All that to say that the God who spoke it is still speaking it. That God through this word, is, 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 this is his primary way of speaking to us, to you today. It's living and it's active and he still speaks it to us and uses it to transform our lives. So for all of these reasons and, 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 and more, I am convinced of that, that I can stake my life on this. I can trust in this book. As the word of God the question is am I listening to it and and the question for you is God spoke God speaks are you listening like if, if if you were watching the game and and the phone rang and your wife picked it up and she said it's for you honey and you said who is it and she said it's God The one who created the universe. The one who knows all. The one who has all power. The one who holds your future in his hand. It's God. What would you say? Tell him it's the third period. (laughs) It's tied. Maybe going into overtime. It'll probably be too late tonight. Tell him we will call him back in the morning. I mean this is what this is what the word is and I think sometimes it's we, we forget because we have a few of these. We have a few of them. We're so spoiled. Other people in the world they, they will die for this, but we have a few of them and they sit at various decorative points in our house. Sometimes collecting too much dust, but God speaks to you. Through this word, are you listening? I had uh, heard about a practice of um, early African converts in the first few hundred years of the Christian Church. I think it was in Ethiopia. The new converts there—they were really devout. They devoted themselves to kind of private devotion with God. And and what they did um, is is they would go out into the bush, and they had they each had their little spot where they would commune with God. They would have the Word, and they would allow God to speak to them, and and they would speak to God in prayer and they had this time with God and they were very um, devoted to that and over time as they did that, as they went to their spot, the, the path to their spot became a path. It was worn down. It became hard soil. And because of that, when one of the believers began to neglect time hearing and speaking to God, it soon became apparent to others and uh, the they they would come and, and kindly remind their negligent brother they would say brother the grass is growing on your path the grass is growing on your path so my question for you and my question for myself is knowing that believing that trusting that God spoke and God still speaks it today and this is the way that God speaks into our life and transforms our lives for our good, Um, is your path to the place of God's speaking to you well-trodden? Or does grass grow on your path? Let's pray. I'll invite you to stand with me. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that in your kindness, Lord, that you sent words, and those words were written, and they were collected, and they were put together, Father. And we have them here today, thousands of years later. Your word to us, to the world, which brings us into a, a knowledge of you and, and a knowledge of your plan for us uh, to receive life through Jesus Christ and and the knowledge of how we are to go about living this life in good ways that bring us joy and bring you glory. And we thank you, Father, that you have given this to us. This is a treasure. Lord, help us to see it as a treasure and to cherish it, Father. And I just pray that um, um, if there be grass that grows on our path, that we would kill that grass with the soles of our feet. In Jesus' name. Amen.